0: Please stand with me if you're able and take out your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 8. Our reading this morning, as well as the content of our sermon, will be Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. This continues the story of Philip as he had gone throughout Samaria, preaching the gospel with great effect. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we read, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this, he was led as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away, who who will relate his generation, for his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. As he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated.
1: In preparation to hear God's word, let's go before him again and ask for his help. Lord God, by way of your Holy Spirit, now we pray would hold our attention to your word, sanctify your people in the truth, for your word is truth. And Lord, may you, according to your grace, bring to life today any who are here who do not know you. They may know of you, but they're not in you. Grant them saving faith this day, we pray. Enable me to proclaim this, your truth by the power of the Spirit. Amen. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We're working our way through the book of Acts. Um, thus far, as the book of Acts has unfolded, at least for the first seven chapters, um, Luke, the author, has chronicled for us um, the history of the early church, um, seeing as we have thousands upon thousands of, Um, being converted. Um, Luke has made um, several large, sweeping statements, um, general reports, if you will, um, giving us a a big-picture view of the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church. We read that more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women in Jerusalem, then a Samaritan community is powerfully one to the gospel. Seven chapters, we're beginning to see the Great Commission unfold. You'll be witnesses of mine in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. And here, midpoint chapter 8, the the wide-angled view that we've seen thus far suddenly zooms in and begins to focus on specific circumstances and individuals, beginning right here as the Scripture zooms in on an Ethiopian eunuch, one of whom. God has invested a great deal in, a great investment. So we see a transition taking place here from preaching to great crowds to one-on-one evangelism, which is our duty, by the way. We can learn from this text much about our evangelistic efforts. Now, the first first half of chapter 8, Philip, as we saw last Lord's Day, leads an entire community to Jesus Christ. Here now, in the second half of the same chapter, Philip leads one man to Jesus Christ. And both occupy about the same amount of space. Remember Philip? He is one of the seven who oversaw the widow's fund in the church in Jerusalem. And as persecution began to break out, um, God's people were scattered. And Philip, as we studied, went north into Samaria and preached the Lord Jesus Christ. He was mightily used of God up there in Samaria, down from Jerusalem, but up north, by way of what we refer to as mass evangelism. Proclaiming the gospel. We read that crowds gathered, they heard the message, and they saw the signs with one accord, they paid attention, they believed, they were baptized. This evangelistic success even attracted those who want Jesus for all the wrong reasons. We looked at Simon Magus, Last Lord's Day, who believed in an outward sense, but not salvifically. A sober reminder that whenever the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, you can be sure there will be two results true and false conversions. Good soil, poor soil. The wheat and the tares. The faithful. And the phony, always have been, always will be. Yet, in spite of Simon, he was the exception on that day. In spite of that false convert, true revival takes place in Samaria, the last place any Jew would expect revival. Amen? So, having heard about this amazing response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the apostles send Peter and John to, um, from Jerusalem to Samaria. Now, although everyone who believed by way of the gospel proclamation through Philip, uh, they could only believe because of the Holy Spirit. It was important that the outward manifestation of the Holy Spirit be attached to the presence of the apostles providing providing the same kind of phenomenon that occurred in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost signs of an apostle were demonstrated there it validated when he did and performed these same signs through the apostles in Samaria that everybody who is in Christ is truly one in Christ. So they traveled north to lay an authoritative hand on this work, this gospel work through Philip and they validated. Signs of, of an apostle. So, with all of this evangelistic success, revival, miracles happening, Philip's preaching, heralding the gospel, all of a sudden, he's told to get up and go to a barren place. Look at it. Verse 26. But, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get up and go south. To the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert road. Now, you would think, uh, we would think, as people normally think, um, if you're being fruitful in a particular place and at a particular time, that God obviously would want you to remain there. That's how we think, is it not, typically? Well, God sends Philip away. Away from a fruitful place, as people are hearing and believing, off and into a desert place, a fruitless place, a dry place, a parched place, a barren place. The reason? God seeks out to save his people no matter what. He will not allow one of his sheep to depart from this earth without first saving them. In other words, salvation is entirely the work of God. Scripture is clear. No man seeks after God. The natural man cannot understand the things of God, for they are foolishness to him. Man is dead. Men are dead. Women are dead in their trespasses and sins, alienated from the life of God. Romans 3, 1 Corinthians 2, Ephesians 2. People are ignorant, indifferent, disinterested, and helpless unless and until the Holy Spirit grants them spiritual life to believe. Salvation, friends, is always initiated by God. Salvation is always initiated by God. A fact powerfully demonstrated in Jesus' dialogue with Nicodemus, he said, you must be born of the Spirit. You must be born from above. And when he asked, how does that happen, Jesus answered Nicodemus. He said, it's like the wind. The wind blows where it wishes. You can hear it. You may hear it. You may see the limbs on the trees shake. But you don't know where it's coming from. You do not know where it is going. You have no control over it. Likewise, the spirit does what he wants, when he wants, where he wants, to whom he wants. Do you believe that? People left to themselves cannot discern truth. People left to themselves will not come to Jesus Christ. That's why in John 6, look at it on the screen. Jesus said, no one what? Can. No one can come to me unless the Father what? Draws him. Salvation regeneration, that is regeneration, life wrought into the dead soul of man is not a synergistic, cooperative endeavor. In other words, it's not part God, part man. It is a soul, monergistic, one-way work of God from heaven. Regeneration, salvation. It's monergistic, one way from heaven to earth, not two ways, not synergistic. A little bit of God, a little bit of man. As a matter of fact, let me ask, remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? How much effort was required of Lazarus on that day to come out? Huh? Lazarus could not raise himself from the dead, nor could he cooperate in the process. Therefore, Lazarus, you see, serves as a paradigm to the grace of God in action in what the New Testament calls the new birth, regeneration. It's all of God. It's monergistic. That is to say, friends, the only seeker in evangelism is God. God seeks out sinners. God seeks out his sheep to save them because The hearts of sinners are barren. The spiritual desert. The heart of man left to himself, it's a spiritual wasteland. And here, God sends an angel to Philip the evangelist and he says, I want to send you from this place of fruitfulness and take you to a desert road. Deserts are barren. Philip's not told why. He just goes. He's responsive. Why? Because he's attentive. He's attentive because he is one who has, by God's grace, been given spiritual life in Christ. He's now a representative of Christ. Notice verse 27 So he got up and went. This is a man who, like so many before him throughout Scripture, respond faithfully to what God has called him to do. I will go, said Rebekah in the book of Genesis. Where you go, I will go, says a widowed Ruth from Moab. Speak, for your servant hears, says a young Samuel. Here I am, send me, says the prophet Isaiah. Question, how do you, believer, how do you respond to the promptings of God in your life? I've asked myself that question throughout the week. So now it's yours. (laughs) Verse 27, and, oh, and, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, now Ethiopia, this is not Ethiopia um, as we know it today. Um, this would be present-day Sudan. In the Old Testament, it's what was known as the land of Cush, Cushites, the land of Cush. And it's referred to, or it was referred to in the ancient world as the furthermost edge of the earth. To the ends of the earth, the gospel will go. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what Ethiopia was known as. Now, this Ethiopian, we don't know much about the man. Now, he may have been a a proselyte to Judaism. He was most certainly a God-fearer. Gentiles in in the Old Testament who who, who trusted and believed Yahweh were referred to as God-fearers. He was at least that. He could have been um, a descendant of the Jewish dispersion that occurred hundreds of years earlier. So it's possible then that he could have been a mix of Jewish and Ethiopian descent, whatever the case, he is now a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He has a powerful position. Now, this Candace, that's not a name. Candace um, is a regal title, kind of like Pharaoh or, or Caesar, the title So this this Candace is the queen mother. Ethiopians believed that their kings were descended from, from the gods. So although kings reigned, they did not rule over the daily affairs of the empire because they were viewed as sacred. Therefore, all of the governing Day-to-day work was carried out by the Candace, the mother queen. So here, this Ethiopian is an official of the Candace, the mother queen, the treasurer. So this man would have had great authority. He would have been greatly trusted, respected, honored, prominent, intelligent, in charge of all her treasure. He was also pious. As I said earlier, he was at least a God-fearer, traveling to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel, the one true God, Yahweh. But he didn't know God, as we shall see. And also he was a eunuch, a eunuch, Men would castrate or emasculate themselves to serve oftentimes as an overseer of some great king's harem, emasculated for obvious reasons. Some men made themselves eunuchs in order to get jobs like this so they could be trusted, especially taking care of of, of certain women in here the Candace of Ethiopia. So he travels all this way he travels at least 1,000 miles to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he would not have been allowed to go into the temple to worship, not even into the court of the Gentiles. See the picture? See this? One thing all Jews knew about eunuchs is that they were cut off from temple worship. Look at Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. It's a bit graphic, but it is the word of God. No one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. They shall not. They're cut off from temple worship. Now, at some point... This Ethiopian eunuch came to uh, a minimal knowledge of Yahweh, the one true God. He travels to Jerusalem, with, with which would have been an, a great entourage. He didn't travel alone. He was a powerful, mighty man. He, he comes to worship, but his worship is limited, blocked, barricaded, cut off. Oh, but God. But God is seeking him out. And he sends a messenger. So while in Jerusalem, this Ethiopian eudic came into possession of a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. Would have been very expensive. Verse 28. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So here, this important Ethiopian official, official of Candace. He would not have traveled alone, as I said. He's in a chariot. This was probably a chariot like one of those boxes you sit in with an awning, has handles on it, and men would carry it along. Could have been that. It could possibly been... Uh, Something like a covered wagon that we're familiar with being connected here to royalty. It could have had um, some kind of advanced suspension. We don't know. He's in a chariot. And lo and behold, he just happens to be reading from the scroll of Isaiah. As he travels down a what road? A barren road. A desert road. You know what the prophet Isaiah says in verse chapter 40? Messianic promise. A messianic declaration. We read in Isaiah 40, make straight in the desert a highway for our Lord. John the Baptist, of course, will fulfill that prophecy for he is a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare a way for the Lord, that is incarnate God, Jesus In here now, the resurrected Lord, the ascended Lord here, sends his messenger, his evangelist, Philip, to plant a seed in the desert. It's just a beautiful picture. I've preached this a number of times. I went back and redid the whole sermon just gaining so much from all of these snippets of Old Testament prophecy. Now, as desert places are unfruitful, beloved, they're unfruitful, they're barren, eunuchs are the very definition of being unfruitful. Obviously, they have no offspring, no seed. Verse 29, then the spirit said to Philip, get up and join this chariot. Now, that's a dangerous move. This man would have been well protected. There would have been all kinds of carriages and things, traveling along, carrying food, people to protect him. And and, and he's told, join the chariot. So, verse 30, Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said this, and this is a great question. Do you understand what you were reading? He has a scroll of the prophet. Isaiah, this is rare. This isn't like you go to the bookstore and just pick up a Bible like we do in our day. The scrolls rolled up would have been like 75 feet long all rolled out. So it's rolled up. He he, he carries it here. This is God's word. God is planting his word in the heart of this eunuch in the desert. Beautiful picture. The word of God is powerful, amen? We talk about it often. In our call to worship this morning, what did we read? You have exalted above all things your name and your your word. It's God-breathed. It's living. It's active. But, and this is a big but, God usually, God usually does not have his word act alone in bringing about salvation. Instead, God, typically speaking, typically speaking, the the, the word, it can be confusing when you open and read it until, until the word of God is activated by someone who explains it to us, and of course, the Holy Spirit is behind all of it. But that is typically how God has always worked by way of his word. It doesn't just go on by itself. He sends one to provide comprehension of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we learn that the good news of Jesus Christ is always biblically attached to a faithful explanation of the word. That is faithful biblical exposition. Romans 10 14 on the screen how will they believe in him whom they have not heard how will they hear without a what a preacher how will they preach unless they are sent Philip is sent go get up go and he arrives and here's this eunuch reading from Isaiah he asks do you understand what you were reading That's a great question. Do you understand what you are reading? Now, given this man's powerful position, he could have been very proud. And a proud man might answer, well, of course I do. Followed by his own personal interpretation. To me, this means, and then fill in the blank. And what have I said about being in a Bible study where the leader says, what what does this text mean to you? What should you do? Either straighten them out or run for the hills. Why? Because it does not matter what it means to you. What matters is what it means. But instead, this powerful, prestigious man shows humility and he answers, how can I? I don't get it. Notice verse 31, and he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I wish every case of evangelism was like that, <laughs> especially on airplanes. <laughs> the things I've heard on airplanes, man, a lie. Friends, everything is the meaning of the words. It's the meaning of the words. Words are irrelevant on their own without meaning. Every text in Scripture has one meaning. So, different views, even if they're secondary issues, guess what? Somebody's wrong. That's why the Scriptures take a lifetime of study, diligent study. Think about this man up on the carriage this day with the scroll of Isaiah in his lap. He probably would have started at the beginning. What we know is Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, behold, they shall be like snow. He gets to Isaiah 6. Isaiah's grand vision, where when Isaiah saw the holy radiance of God, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne in a temple. There aren't thrones in temples, except in heaven. Jesus Christ sitting on the throne, the train train of his robe, what? Filled the temple. Glory. John 12. We come to find out that Isaiah was talking about Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ on his throne. He would go on to read about the the, the sins of people and how people's sins separate them from holy God. And then, according to the providence of God, with with sin in mind and separation in mind, he's reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. Notice, Acts 8, verse 32. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. Verse 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me. Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip, notice. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. This is his launching pad. Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8. Philip sounds a lot like Stephen in his preaching, doesn't he? who sounds a lot like Peter, all of whom sound a lot like their Lord. You remember in in, in Luke 24, our resurrected Lord comes alongside of two dismayed disciples, to say the least. They do not recognize him. He begins to explain to them from all of the scriptures, that is the Old Testament, things pertaining to himself and how the Christ must suffer. Here's Philip. He's doing the same thing. Preach Christ from the Old Testament. Or you don't have a Bible. It's all about Christ. Genesis to Revelation. So notice that this eunuch reads of a man who was like a root out of dry ground, verse 2. You can turn to Isaiah 53 if you like. He's like a root out of dry ground. This one would become humiliated, cut off. The suffering servant will be cut off from the land of the living, denied justice, and ultimately, he'll be slaughtered. You know, this eunuch, I'm inferring here a bit, he could have been there thinking this day, I've been cut off. I've been excluded. I've been shut out, unfruitful. Isolated. Man, I couldn't even get in the temple. So please tell me, of of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And then Philip goes on to provide the redemptive key that unlocks the meaning of the Old Testament. The redemptive key and understand the Old Testament is? Jesus, the Christ, the royal anointed one, son of the living God. So beginning right where the eunuch was, he preaches the good news about Jesus Christ. Friends, all divine revelation must be interpreted from revelation's highest point. And the highest point of divine revelation, yet again, is our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 declares that God's servant must be rejected by his people. He must be unjustly judged. He must be silently led to be slaughtered. His life cut off. He will be forsaken by God. Yet his suffering and death, it was not the result of his own sin, as you go on to read in Isaiah 53, but because of our sin. He was the only sinless one. He's the only one who makes reconciliation possible. Reconciliation between fallen man and holy God. He's the only one that makes expiation possible. The the removal of sins as far as the east is from the west. He's the only one that makes propitiation final. That is the satisfaction of God's justice. This one. Because, why? Look back at verse 6, Mr. Eunuch. Okay, you want to know why? Look back at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Keep reading, Mr. Eunuch. Roll out the scroll a little more. Look at verse 10. This cut off one who was stricken, afflicted, crushed, put to grief, he will see his offspring, offspring, and he will prolong his days. How does a dead one see his offspring? Mr. Eunuch, look. Verse 11. My servant will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, look at verse 12. I will allot him. I will allot him a portion with the many. That is to say, God vindicated him by raising him from the dead, Mr. Eunuch. He ascended into heaven. He was established and exalted as the king of kings, Lord of lords, Messiah over all. He suffered and died for all who will become his people. Imagine being this eunuch on this day. He justifies his people so that they too will be raised to reign with him forever. That's what Isaiah 53 says. That's what it's all about. Okay, and then, Mr. Eunuch, look, look at Isaiah 54. The barren will bear The barren will bear, if you turn to chapter 54, shout for joy. God's word, the instruction of fruitfulness, has been sown from heaven above. Look at Isaiah 55. You can just listen now. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it barren sprout and furnishing seed to the sower... And bread to the eater, so will my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me, what? Empty, void, barren. So here this eunuch, a dry branch, a withered tree, without offspring, most likely by way of self-mutilation, He's coming to learn that God's mercies are greater than man's iniquities. God's mercies are greater than the marrings of God's image in man. Because of this one. The perfect one. Who was humiliated. Mr. Eunuch. Unroll the scroll. A little more. Imagine when the eunuch arrived at Isaiah 56. Remember, this is the place, Isaiah 53, we read in the text, that Philip begins to preach Christ. Imagine, look at Isaiah 56 verse 3. Let not... The foreigner who's joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people, nor let the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. Friends, that simply means those who believe. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. The one who just left Jerusalem and could not get into the temple has an inheritance, an inheritance he has a place in the new temple that is being formed jesus christ the one who was cut off so this eunuch could enter in boldly the throne of what grace Verse seven, Isaiah 56, for my house, my house, says the Lord, will be called a house of prayer for all the people, all nations. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel, the dispersed of Israel, declares, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. Friends, God takes people who think God could never use me. God takes people who think he could never be fruitful through me. And he says, oh, yes, I can. Oh, yes, I will. I will bear fruit through you. And throughout scripture, in the Old Testament, what is the sign, what's the ultimate sign of unfruitfulness? barrenness. The barren. Hannah, Rebecca, Rachel, and those past the age of, of childbearing, like Sarah. Elizabeth, who in her old age will give birth to John the Baptist, the forerunner of Messiah, Elizabeth was the cousin of the young virgin girl, Mary, who lived in a town called Nazareth, from which nothing good, that is fruitful, nothing good can come. Oh, I will bear fruit through you, says sovereign God. So here an unfruitful eunuch in an unfruitful desert reads the prophet of Isaiah that says, I will gather you to me and I will gather you together with the rest of God's people and from you I will bring forth fruit. Isaiah 56 verse 7. He begins preaching Christ in Isaiah 53. Root out of dry ground. Back to Acts 8, verse 36. As they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. So they come upon this this small oasis that they weren't particularly expecting. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, no water would prevent him. No faith would prevent him. Both are present. Faith in Jesus Christ, water, so he's baptized. So, I mean, how does he know about baptism? He just blurts this out. Well, we don't know the whole conversation, but obviously, Philip must have shared the words of Jesus with regards to the Great Commission, preached the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all have instructed you, and lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. There's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Believe, and you may be baptized. So baptism portrays what it is That has already happened to us by way of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. Pointing away from the one being baptized to the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Identifying with him and his death, burial, and resurrection, made new, washed, cleansed, our sins expiated. He's baptized. And notice baptism wasn't delayed. Believer, he didn't have to go through a four-week class on what it means to be baptized. He was baptized. All the learning comes after. When once you believe, you must be baptized. Believer, have you been baptized? I'm a believer. I haven't been baptized. Get baptized. Not to get saved, but because you're saved. Be obedient to the Lord. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch rejoices, Not, not because Philip snatched away, Because he realizes his sins have been washed away. He's rejoicing. Rejoicing is a sign of salvation. Sign of. I often wonder why so many Christians lose that spirit of rejoicing over the years. You know, early on, when when once they were converted... Some were converted in a glorious way, in an amazing way. They're full of zeal. Have you been one of these people? Have you known one of these people? They're full of zeal. And yet, how many seem to lose that? They start out, they're so involved, they're so interested, they're so hungry for the truth. They, every time the doors are open at the church, they're there, hungering, growing. Participating, evangelizing, and then one day it seems lost. It just seems gone. They become so slack. Friends, affection for the Lord, when it cools, it cools gradually. Backsliding, backsliddenness never occurs overnight, ever starts in the heart. Last week, we, we mentioned that backsliddenness begins with prayerlessness. Church of Ephesus, you've left your first love. You've abandoned your first love. It begins in, in, in the heart. We begin to neglect quiet time. I don't like that term, but I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> our time with the Lord personally. We neglect it, and eventually, these people begin to absent themselves from from where God's people gather together. You have people, brothers and sisters in this church, who've been gone for weeks. Call them. Call them. By the time I call them, typically they don't answer the phone. Call him. Pray for him. He rejoices. Why? Why why should we rejoice? Because, friends, like this man, like this man, we who were once far off have been brought near to the living God, by the living God, the one who's enthroned in heaven, seated in glory, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the Savior, where one day we will see indeed that we are more than conquerors when we see him face to face, as I prayed this morning. The one who in eternity past chose you. Do you know that? He chose you. He predetermined to save you, and in time he came to this earth to redeem us, and he's the same one who sent the Holy Spirit after us to regenerate us. He enabled us to believe. We ought to rejoice. He died for sinners to make you whole. Where's the rejoicing? May we rejoice every day, beloved, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, placed there by God before the foundation of the earth. Rejoice. Maybe you're like this eunuch. Maybe you've done something that that has forever scarred you. This guy was forever scarred physically, to say the least. Perhaps you've done something that, that has scarred you deeply and you feel far from God. Cut off. Well, again, he died. The suffering servant, Isaiah 53, he suffered to make sinners whole and to call them in and unto himself. That's why he came. So, if that's you, come to Christ. Repent, believe, be baptized, and rejoice. You're whole in Christ. Verse 40. But Philip, <laughs> mission accomplished, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. So the, the Lord relocated him in a, in a miraculous way to Azotus. It's the uh, uh, New Testament name for Old Testament Ashdod. That's where they took the Ark of the Covenant, which is about 20 miles from this location on this day he's just zapped away we'll see him again and he's referred to as Philip the Evangelist about it's 10 or 15 years down the road we'll see him again in Caesarea in in chapter 21 so next year (laughs) for you so a word on evangelism as I close up evangelism God still works This God, same God, almighty God, still works in drawing human hearts, preparing them for the word explained. Preparing them for the word explained. God still puts his people in the right place at the right time, and he bids us, open your mouth. Preach me, says Jesus. Preach me. Preach my gospel. Oftentimes those places where we least expect it. Amen? Now, on this day it was an Ethiopian eunuch on a desert road, a man from present-day Sudan, this Ethiopian. But it also includes you and the people around you throughout San Diego County. Amen. Evangelism. You know, I know I know evangelism scares a lot of us Christians. And we think, man, I'm scared to death. I, I wasn't gifted with boldness. Friends, I don't think anybody's gifted with boldness. Some people, yes, are more bold than others. But you see, boldness to proclaim the gospel doesn't happen until you step out in obedience and preach the gospel. And you'll find that you all of a sudden become bold because he, the spirit, emboldens you. So we have to open our mouths. And let me tell you this, speaking about Jesus, he'll supply the boldness. Speaking about Jesus will become very natural the more you speak about Jesus to one another. I mean, you, I know you people catechize your children. What parent who has his children in church doesn't catechize them? That means you know, teaching them the basics of the gospel. You all obviously do that. Amen? If you don't do that, you better get started on doing that. I mean, come on. A lot of people are concerned about evangelism. They don't even evangelize their own homes. Let's start there. The more we discuss the things of Christ with one another, the more natural it will be to speak to unbelievers. The more you speak and the more you listen, the more you grow in understanding about the risen one, the crucified one, the the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Now you can go preach Christ and the gospel from the Old Testament. 53, 54, 55, 56. Isaiah. Isaiah. The prophet. To close, notice. Notice how much God loves one person to save him. The God who seeks and saves. Would Philip have seen more conversions had he remained in Samaria? I think you can count on it. But God is not like man. His ways are not our ways. He does not strategize the way we do. American evangelicalism. Let's get a big crowd and rock bands and lead everybody to Jesus. Well, let's preach Christ one-on-one as well. Amen? That's good as long as you're preaching Christ. So, what may appear to be the best way of doing something, God's ways are completely different to ours. How tragic would it have been for this man to have the scroll of Isaiah? He owns this scroll, and yet he doesn't know God. He went to Jerusalem not knowing God. How do we know that? Because by the end of Philip's mission, he believes. How tragic to have the scroll of Isaiah and not know it's about Jesus Christ. That Genesis 3 is about Jesus Christ, verse 15. You see clearly, do you not? Here, the sovereign grace involved in this conversion, sovereign grace monergistic work of God, the one-way work of God to save a sinner like this. He he plants here the seed, the word of God, where the natural response would be, that's the worst place to plant a thing. In a desert? An unfruitful eunuch? What fruit's going to come out of a eunuch? Well, let's just be reminded that that, that this African man will become the forerunner of some pretty significant African men, such as Tertullian and Augustine, to name but two. The story of the Ethiopian eunuch makes sense of the entire Bible. When Jesus said, all power and authority in heaven above and earth below has been given to me, me who, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have taught you, and lo, I will be with you. Even until the end of the age. May God bless His word to your hearts. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Suffering servant, root out of dry ground, that there was nothing that would cause men to be drawn to the Christ, humanly speaking. that he would not be a man such as the first king of Israel, humanly speaking, Saul, who was a head and shoulders above all other men, incredibly handsome, or the likes of David, but there was nothing comely about him that we would be attracted to him. Yet he came and humbled himself, lowered himself. He was cut off so we could be drawn in. We praise you, Lord, for your word, the gospel, your son, our Lord, your love, your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.